Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on identity. So guys, we gave a working definition a few weeks ago uh, in regards to identity. And true identity, true identity in Christ is knowing and being who God says you are. Our identity becomes more secure when we lose sight of ourselves and we get a clear view of Jesus Christ and his glory. Now, that being said, uh, even as you study scripture, the Pharisees sent a lawyer to Jesus and they said, hey, what is the greatest command according to the law of Moses? Well, even under the law, Jesus looked and said, the greatest command according to the law of Moses is to love God and love others. So there is a huge difference between loving God and loving others and even uh, the word lust. I want you to think about this for a second. There is a huge difference. The word lust means to have an intense or unrestrained craving of the heart. It can be sexual. It can be for control, materialism, more money, more power, whatever it is. But in our world, I believe oftentimes people mistake love for lust. Uh, lust is an intense, uh, obsessive desire uh, deep down inside of us that will never be satisfied. I like what Frederick Buchner said. Uh, I've read him over the years, and Buchner had uh, what I think to be an incredible quote here as it deals with lust. But he said, lust is the craving for salt by a man who is dying of thirst. And I'm like, that is a beautiful way to say it. It's, it's craving for something that you don't need when you're dying of thirst. So love, when we break it down, there's four different words for love really in the New Testament. Uh, the words storge, phileo, eros. But the predominant word that we study is the word agape. And agape love, I believe, in its simplest terms, it's unconditional, sacrificial, sacrificing of self, surrendering to that which honors and reflects the heart of God. So lust is all about uh, feeding selfish desires. True love is all about glorifying God and honoring and loving and taking care of neighbor. Now, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. I, I would highly encourage you to ponder uh, this passage with me today. But even the beloved, the, 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 the saint, John himself, who wrote the Gospel of John, I'll break down a thought here in a second for you. But as John writes toward the end of his life, uh, listen to what he says. He goes, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father. It's from the world. You see, the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. That is such a powerful, powerful statement. Now, think about this. It is a very dangerous thing to love what God hates, and to hate what God loves. I mean, ponder that for a second. It is a very vile, uh, perverted worldview to really hate what God loves and to love what God hates. Do you remember years ago the movie that came out called Fatal Attraction? It's about a married man 
who has a weekend affair with a woman who refuses to allow the relationship to end. A married man has an affair. And the truth is, your sin will find you out. Even the writer of the book of James, he made this observation. He goes, once lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin leads to death. And so it starts with this lust, the arousing of the flesh, but it leads to sin and death. And I will tell you this, sin will grab a hold of you and refuse to let go. Sin will take you places you shouldn't go. Sin will keep you locked up longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you can uh, ever, ever repay. It'll cost you more than you will ever realize. And I will tell you, it is a fatal attraction to fall in love with the things that have the potential to destroy our fellowship with God, that would destroy our relationship with others, and things that would deplete the joy and peace of Jesus in our lives. But the world is constantly throwing lures at us, trying to reel us in to the things that are not of God. We're told, do not love the world. But here's the contrast. Why do we read in John, the gospel of John, even in chapter 3? For God so loved the world. Here's a major contrast, and I think it's important for each and every one of us to understand this. The gospel of John is written to the unsaved, to the unbeliever, if you will. And so even John repeatedly says, these things have been written so that you will believe. The target audience is the unbeliever. All these stories, all these miracles that John lays out, it's written so that you will believe. So when John captures that conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus, and what we have is John chapter 3, God so agape, God so love those people. God so loves the lost. God loves the world because God created the world. And God desires that none perish. God desires that none uh, stay alienated throughout eternity from his love. So when you read it, the gospel of John is written to the unsaved, to those that are unbelievers. But first John is written to the saved. First John is written to the believer. So when first John, as John gets older now, and as he writes this to the believer, he goes, do not love the world, which means do not love that which God has created and man has really royally jacked up so much of what God has created. He's going, don't love that which is hostile or indifferent to the truth. Don't love that which is wicked or evil. Don't love the world's systems and schemes. And last week, we talked about this. We established that a non-biblical worldview, and when we talk about a non-biblical worldview, we're talking about a secular, twisted, uh, just hostile uh, world that we live in with all these ideas that bombard us constantly that are opposed to God through television, movies, music, newspapers, books, even the academic world. And we establish that we are living in this world where people that love the world are promoting the world. And we live in this sinful, selfish world that appeals to 
the desires of the flesh. And for so many people, we get caught up and we incorporate them into our work, uh, personal worldview, and it ends up absolutely messing us up big time. Now, if you are saved, if you've repented of your sin and placed your faith and confidence in Christ, and you have received Jesus and surrendered to the Lord, you belong to the Savior. You do not belong to the world system. And that is so fundamental for us to understand. We are to worship the creator and not the created. And so many people, they fall in love with the creation or that which God has created, and they never love God. And God, God is a jealous God, and he deserves and desires us to worship him. So when we start to really contemplate this, we, we have to ask, okay, what, what all was I saved from? What did God save me from? He saved me from the world. Did the world complete you? When you were trying to find love, acceptance, worth, value, significance, acceptance, etc., in the world, did the world satisfy you? No. Did the world ever meet your deepest need? No. What were you saved to? So salvation is all about being rescued from and delivered to. What were you saved to? Freedom in Christ, a new inheritance. God is the light of the world, and he calls me to be salt and light. He's called me to live holy and pure and blameless. And he even says, you're a child of the light. You're not a child of darkness. And so we've been rescued from the domain of darkness, small g, God. Satan is the prince of this world, if you will, ruler of this world. But we've been rescued to honor, worship, and serve God. Again, that's our primary purpose for being on the planet. So here are three questions that I would encourage you to ponder, and three questions I believe that we all must answer. One, what drives your life? What is the driving force? What, what, what is it that fuels your life every day? Two, what are your desires? What are the desires inside of your heart, the true desires? And the third question would be, what is your destiny? And so we, we've got to ponder just basic questions, okay? What drives your life? Ask the question, is it the love of the world or is it the love of the Father? He tells us, do not love the world. Do not love the created. Do not love the systems and the schemes. Don't, don't love the world. I created it for your enjoyment. Love me and enjoy what I've made, but don't love this and neglect the one who made it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If the if anyone loves the world, he says the love of the Father is not in him. And even James again would write. He says, do you not realize that friendship, friendship with the world is hostility with God? A friend of the world makes himself to be an enemy of God? God created you and I. God created all that we see. And God deserves and invites us to worship him, adore him. That's the reason he says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor. But don't get, don't get sidetracked. Don't get shipwrecked in your life by loving the world. He, 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 all of us have got to ponder this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he says it's an either or relationship. It's either God or it's the world. He said it's either or. 
If what drives you is your love for the world, then there's no room in our hearts, really, for the love of God to, to champion our lives. So who or what is the object of your love? For me, for years, it was baseball. I love baseball. Baseball is a created thing. When God radically saved me and rescued me out of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of light, I fell in love with God, but I enjoyed the game of baseball. But for years, it was the created that grabbed my heart and my uh, uh, affection, if you will. What is the object of your love? Is the determination of your life the pursuit of God? Is that really what defines who you are? Robert Yarbrough, here's a great quote that I read from him. He said, authentic love for God exists when it has no rivals, which means when we crucify the flesh and we start to crucify all these things that would rival against God and say, you know what? Those things have to be put, they got to be put to death. Then and only then can we choose to focus and give our allegiance and our attention to the Lord. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and he'll despise the other. That is a very powerful thing. Is Jesus the master of your life? What's calling the shots? Who, who's in charge? What is the object of your affection? So what are the desires of your heart? The desires of the world? Or is it the desires of the Father? What are the true desires? We're even told in Psalm uh, to commit our ways and to seek the Lord. He will give us the desires of our heart because our heart starts to be molded by him in such a way that we start to desire what he desires. Back to 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 16. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father. It's from the world. I want to break down these three for you, but I find it very interesting as I study this. The lust of the flesh. We broke down the word flesh already, but, uh, or should I say lust already, but let me say this. Lust is cravings for polluted desires. That's a simple definition again. What is the lust of the flesh? An unhealthy desire or polluted desire for something more than God. It becomes an idol, and people can lust after so many different things, right? I mean, it can be sexual, it can be pride, it can be arrogance, it can be even hoarding, greed, manipulation, and immorality is so widespread, and addictions can destroy a person's life, and we've seen it destroy so many in our own families and in this nation. So lust is man chasing after things that the world says will give satisfaction. But the problem is, and you and I know this, the problem is even when we catch what the world says will, will bring satisfaction, it doesn't. It leaves us empty. We feel void, and we still wrestle going, what is going on inside my heart? I mean, I've climbed so many different ladders that the world said would bring me success, and I still feel so empty. So we lust or crave after the things, oftentimes, that just give us pleasure. And we live in a culture and in a world that's defined as hedonistic, and it's all about the pursuit of pleasure. This is what characterizes even the depraved heart. 
Read Romans chapter 1. Start around verse uh, 18 and read the remainder of the chapter. But Romans chapter 1, 24 and 25. Therefore God gave them over, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored even among them. They exchanged, listen to this, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They exchange. And, and so you and I know that God invites us. We're put here on the planet to know, worship, serve, glorify, walk with God. But when we exchange, I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to give you all my adoration and attention. We end up worshiping the created, which becomes idols, which becomes just destruction for us. Jesus teaches us, even in, in the Gospels, that lust must be amputated. It must be amputated from our lives. And, and, and it's got to, we've got to deal with it. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So even Jesus says, hey, guys, listen, it's not just the act which is vile. When you lust, lust gives birth to sin that leads to death. It's going to lead you to death. Jesus goes, please amputate all lustful thoughts away and allow the love of God to be supreme. And then he talks about this, not only the lust of the flesh, but the lust of the eyes. And the lust of the eyes is the desire for those things that we cannot have. It's an unquenchable appetite for more. More cars, more houses, more clothing, more image stuff. It's, 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 it's the lust of the eyes are never satisfied, right? Like the lust of the flesh, it promises that it'll bring satisfaction, but it's gonna leave you empty. There's always something else out there that the individual wants. And I remember years ago, we were doing a wild game dinner down uh, in, in, in South Georgia, and Jeff Foxworthy and I were driving down to do it, and we passed this junkyard, and I'll never forget Jeff goes, check it out, and I looked at the junkyard, and he goes, dude, every car in this junkyard used to be somebody's pride and joy. Oh, if I can get that car. And, and, and if I can drive that car, and if that car can become mine, it, it's going to satisfy me. But then that car starts to wear out, and it finds itself ultimately. And that's what the lust of the eyes is all about. It's always looking, going, oh, that will bring me satisfaction. But it doesn't. And Jesus' teaching on this subject is so critical and crucial for us to understand. Matthew chapter 5, listen to what Jesus said. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And I promise you right now, I promise you, our eyes, what we see, what we focus on, that's the reason we're told to take every thought captive. Why? Because thoughts usually, you can have thoughts without the visual piece of it, but oftentimes it's the visual piece that stimulates the thoughts, that arouses an emotion, that leads to lust, etc., that will take you down. You see, when you turn the eye into a tool for, uh, for sin, 
your soul will become full of darkness. And, and, and Job, even Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with my eyes. And so I would encourage you to realize what you gaze upon matters. What you look at matters. With all the social media that we have at our fingertips today, with all these vices and devices that we have, with the visuals in front of us right now, do you use your eyes for the glory of God and good, or are you using your eyes for evil purposes? It's been said that the eyes are the windows to the soul. And so please let me encourage you, do not love the world or the things in the world. The lust of the flesh, it will hijack your life. And the lust of our eyes, if we're not careful, it can hijack our lives. And then he talks about the boastful pride of life. The pride of life. I mean, that's the desire for recognition and applause, right? It's an attitude that demands attention from others. It's driven to have prestige and popularity and, and power. And power and prestige, I can promise you, does not satisfy. There is usually the anxiety of even fearing that someone else is coming uh, coming to take your place even when you've risen to the top. And so you get into control mode and protection mode, and it's, it's a terrible way to live. But when you start to look at, when you start to look at this in Scripture, uh, the, the the scripture is, is very strong. Read a variety of translations when it comes to this boastful pride of life. And, and here, as I was reading through it, uh, from, from again, from King James, NIV, NLT, NASB, the message, etc., I was like, man, it's, it's interesting how this phrase is captured, right? The pride of life or the vain glory of life, vain glory of life, uh, the arrogance produced by material possessions, the boastful pride of life, being too proud of what we have, pride in our achievements, pride in our possessions. So you've got to step back and go, what? What, what, what am I focused on? What occupies my, my eyes, my time, my flesh? Is my pride being kept in check? God opposes those who are prideful. He gives grace to the humble. Now, here's another question. What is your determined destination in life? A passing world or eternity with God? Verse 17 says the world is passing away along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This world is going to pass away. When the eastern sky splits and Jesus returns uh, for his bride, the Bible says the Bible says that one day God is going to bring us back to the saints and set up an earthly kingdom with a new earth. And, and all of this, what we see right now, is going to burn. It's going to pass away. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Tap into what's going to last for eternity. So here, for me, is kind of where I land. Where I am going determines how I live. Who I'm going to be with the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, he calls the shots of my day-to-day living. I sold out. I am owned by another. I have a new master. I have a new authority in my life. And so I would encourage you, repent, surrender, going, God, I've allowed my affections and desires 
to chase after the created, to, cre- to chase after stuff, and it's not working. The world is not going to satisfy you. And I would tell you, 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 you will never regret full surrender and repentance. And over the last weeks, we've seen so many even respond to the gospel. You're watching online. But at 11 a.m. today, we have five that we're baptizing today. One girl surrendered just a couple of weeks ago. Another one came up to me this past Sunday saying, hey, I'm surrendering. Would you baptize me? Another one sent me a note saying, hey, it's time for me to take that next step. I've got to obey the Lord. And you may be watching online. If, If you're in proximity, you can reach out to us and say, I've got to take that next step. I've prayed, and I've, I've asked Christ to take over my life. I have surrendered, but I haven't followed the Lord in baptism. You reach out to Nick at thecrossloganville.org and say, Nick, I, I want to talk about being baptized, and we would love to take that next step with you. But you've got to stop and go, do you love the world, or do you love the Father? Your eternal destiny Your eternal destiny depends on this answer. Do I love this world or do I really love the Father? The Apostle Paul was writing to a a kid that he was mentoring by the name of Timothy. And he was laying it out. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Man, I fought a good fight and I'm about to go be with the king. And I know there's a, a crown of righteousness laid aside for me. And he's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, I don't have much time. Bring my cloak and bring the parchments, man. Bring my writings and, and bring my cloak. It's kind of cold in this, in this jail cell here. But then he includes this in his writing to Timothy there in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. He goes, Timothy... Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And I want you to think about that in close. Demas. Demas. Who was he? He had undoubtedly walked with the Lord for a period of time. He had become a sidekick for the Apostle Paul in his ministry. But why would Paul write to Timothy and say, Demas, he loves the world too much. He's deserted me. We've had people walk into our lives in my 35 years of walking with Jesus. We've had people walk in and just tears flowing and saying, hey, man, I've got to repent and surrender. But because they love this present world, I see them just kind of desert the faith. And that might be you today. Maybe a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, even 20 years ago, you were at a place of crisis and you felt like the world was falling down on you, and the pressures and the weightiness was crushing your soul, and you cried out, God, save me. God, I'm surrendering. God, I will honor you. But then, based on your definition of life, you feel like things started kind of going good again, and you slowly started drifting away from the Lord. You drifted away from fellowship with other believers, Once upon a time, you were picking up the word every day. You were in prayer every day. You were worshiping, and you were serious about walking with God because all hell had broken loose, and you're like, save me. But as time has gone on, you go, I'm Demas. I love the present world, and I have deserted the Father. It is time for you today to violently repent 
to turn from the sin that you're involved in and to say, God, I am so sorry for how I've wrecked my life again. Lord, I really believe I ran to you and I tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but I've walked away. And I would encourage you today, get your heart right with God. Love God above all. All that is in this world is passing away, but he who does the will of God will abide forever. I want to pray with you, and then we're going to move into a time of continued worship. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for our identity being rooted, established, and grounded in Christ Jesus. And, Father, I pray for every person listening today. I pray in Jesus' name, Father, that their hearts would be wide open to love you, that they would denounce the world, Lord, that they would not desire the things of the world, Lord, that maybe they're sitting there today and they would just confess, the world again has let me down. I'm living a life of stable misery. I've lived a life of perpetual confusion. Jesus, today I repent. I turn from my sin and I'm asking you to save me and take over my life. Lord, be my master and my ruler and my Lord. I need you desperately. Lord, for those who maybe have tasted and seen that you're good, but Lord, they drifted, and now they feel as if they're in a place where they've just deserted the Lord. Lord, I pray that they would come to their senses today, much like the prodigal. And Lord, they've been in a far country, but they would run back to the arms of a loving father today. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would repent. God, you've shown me that you're good. But Lord, I've allowed myself to become occupied, Lord, with the things of this world. And Lord, I've opened up some of those old doors that I wanted to shut years ago. And Lord, I'm back into sexual bondage or alcohol bondage or drug bondage or just, I have to be in control bondage. Lord, I've been just pursuing money and wealth and materialism. And Lord, I'm so exhausted and so tired I repent right now and say it's not working. Jesus, please, Jesus, please do a major work in my life. Lord, please, Lord, I pray that you would free me and break the chains right now in my life. So, Father, I thank you for what you're doing. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we wanna see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.